0: back to the Chris Lockwood Podcast. This is your boy, Chris Lockwood, and this is the place where we have open and honest conversation with and for those who are seeking, learning, growing, striving to better understand what it means to be fully alive and how that translates in the day to day. It's a mouthful, but I believe that God wants us to have a life full, right? I'm a faith guy. I'm a believer. I have hope. I do believe and trust that Jesus is alive. And man, if that's possible. And then a guy would die and then come back from the dead three days later. Then what else is possible, right? And so that's the conversation I want to have. You know, I think sometimes we've bought into church is what happens on Sunday morning or Saturday night whenever you go. And that's encouraging. That's a great pep talk. But church is what happens on Monday morning when you wake up with your family, when you go to work, uh, when you're on the ball field, when you're wherever, wherever you are. That's where Jesus wants us to have church, to have community, to have fellowship, to be encouraging one another, to be helping one another, to be empowering one another, uh, to do life with one another, to succeed, to have faith, to overcome, to go through you know, frustration so that we can learn and come out on the other side stronger. That's church. So that's the conversation I want to have. And so hopefully you're finding this place to be that very thing. Daily, it just seems to be getting darker and more grimmer, and people seem to be more depressed and antidepressants and just the conversation, you know, and and we're entering into an election year. And so I just I'm trying to mentally prepare myself for the nonsense that I'm about to hear because I don't want to participate in that. I want to be a part of that conversation. And uh, we all have our opinions on that, but it's not worth tearing one another down over it. And um, the reality is that none of us really know these candidates personally anyway, so it's not worth losing your head over. Right. What's worth losing your head over is living your best life, being your best self, seeking the Lord, trying to find out what he has for you, and fully immersing yourself in that, in him. And that's the conversation I'm interested in having. So the last couple of podcasts were my first two and three years with Danielle Pratt and her husband. And, man, I enjoyed it. It was a two-part And we focused a lot on Lyme disease, but it's not necessarily about Lyme disease. It was more about the journey they've been on, the lessons they've learned, um, the struggle, and how their faith has grown through it. And I just came away so impressed with those two people. And even I got to meet their kids briefly. And, man, I mean, it's just, you know, we hate going through struggle. And I'm in the middle of a pretty dark season right now. But I am holding on to the fact that I would not trade the person I'm going to be on the other side of it. I wouldn't trade anything, right? You know, because like we do hate going through the hard times, but it's in the fire where we we uh, we come out on the other side shinier. (laughs) We get sharper, we get better, and so we need the difficult times. Um, But we don't have to do it alone, and that to me is what Jesus was all about. Church is what happens Monday through Sunday and we do it together. And so this is my offering to you and I hope that it encourages you. If you're not a religious person, guess what? Neither am I. So you're you are welcome. Uh, the playing field is level. I don't think I'm any better than anybody out there. Um, in fact, if you knew me personally, you'd know for a fact that, <laughs> that I'm not better than anybody out there. So this week, who do we have this week? We have my friend Gabriel Vilas. Uh, we homeschool our kids. And Gabriel and his wife and kids are involved in the same co-op that we go to. And the more I've gotten to know Gabriel, the more I've grown to appreciate this man because he does have a shepherd's heart. He's always interested in what's going on in your life, and he always wants to be available to help if he can do anything, uh, offer any you know nugget of wisdom or anything. Um, he just seems to—he's just one of those people, you know. He's always a listening ear, and. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just, I appreciate this guy. And he and I have both been going through a, a, a similar season in life uh, regarding, you know, finding purpose, entrepreneurship, trying to start business, um, taking risks, taking steps of faith, and it not paying off the way you intended it to. And so this conversation is, you know, about a dad, a husband, a man who is trying to pivot later in life and find a new course, maybe fulfill some dreams, and the disappointments and the frustration that comes along with that. So if that sounds like you, if it sounds like any of you, look, regardless of whether you're an entrepreneur or not, there's going to be a lot of goodness in here. And so... You know, I like to get to know the people. I like to go back and hear about their life so that you can understand who they are and what their perspective is so that when you hear their perspective or you hear how they approach life, you don't go, well, that's stupid. You go, oh, I get it because when they were kids or when they had this experience when they were teenagers or whatever. So you can't, unless we know the full person, uh, we have no right to make judgment calls on one another, right? Because you just never know what the past holds. So... Gabriel Velez, I know you're going to love this. I love this guy, and this was a great conversation. And by the way, just aside, he says something about uh, we're sitting in my my den, in my mansion. I don't own a mansion, so I just want to put that out there. So I give you Gabriel Viles Enjoy it. I typically have a script. No script? And, um, yeah, I mean, I just... I thought, let me talk. I mean, we essentially said it all, so we might as well just go home (laughs) before we hit record. We're um, sitting here in my um,
1: dining room, having smoothies, Mm -hmm. drinking coffee. In his mansion. mansion. My mansion. Overlooking... (laughs) Grass. Beautiful grass. Meadows. (laughs) Acres and acres of lush...
0: Um, it didn't snow last year, and we actually like were the the anticipation of what will this look like when it. I mean, it's, it's really it's just grass and trees. It's not really anything special, but like, it, I feel
1: like it will be pretty when it's mm-hmm. when it snows. Land is a sign of wealth, Chris. This is wealth for you.
0: But I don't own that. so. <laughs> so but no. you have access to it. <laughs> I just cut that little strip <laughs> so that the grass doesn't grow with too much <laughs> yard. No. So, um, well, I mean, we really did just cover a lot, um, but we'll come back to it. So when I was thinking about like us, like getting together, I don't really know your background and obviously like homeschool is our connection and stuff. And so like, I really just wanted to like find out more about you and then like how you got, you know, just how connect all the dots on you getting to where we're at right now. And then I think. Men or women struggling with the very thing you and I just chit-chatted about like it's very real and people probably could benefit from the lessons you've learned through the frustration because I know it's been the last few years have been have been a journey you know for a journey for you guys and so um, see I think that's why we get along so well is because we've been we've been on a very similar journey in the last four or five years too Mm -hmm. And It's funny like even in the middle of it all, like you're you're still there's not a lot to complain about you know what I mean like that's what's different like looking back mm-hmm. it's like you're still blessed
1: mhm
0: still got great kids mhm somehow the lord provides yes and maybe it's just the expectation you know like we set ourselves up for disappointment because we
1: put expectation on ourselves mhm is that do you concur <laughs> uh i think so i mean i we I think we have this pretty picture and books and people and gurus paint this picture of what life should look like often and and even even though we we know the word of God it's easy for us to get influenced by those things and and that vision of what a career should look like or what you know what where you should be at a certain stage in life you know by your thirties you should be here at the age yeah. of forty you should be here and. By the age of 50, you should be there. And without even realizing, we we end up succumbing to those expectations. Mm. And so I think, and that's that's a lesson that I think, uh, a big one that I've, I've had to learn too is that, as I mentioned to you earlier, that we're on assignments and we're not about uh, creating a certain path for ourselves mm. and we're not about creating whatever vision we have uh, that, that we should accomplish it's really okay God where, where do you want me now and the assignment could look very different than what we expected Yeah. and that's a tough one because like I said it's most people don't live that way most people uh, you know there's most people talk about living their dreams yeah. you know I've, I've been listening to an audio book right now it's very popular and there's a lot of truth in it but it, it is so focused on living your dreams what is it it's uh, Rachel Hollis uh, girl girl uh, it, it's because it's, it's, it <laughs> girl don't ap- stop apologizing, and, yeah, yeah. and I'm reading it because it's, it's it ties into my next steps vocationally. Yeah. But, and it's a great book, and you know, but there's always a danger of.
0: Uh, <laughs> I feel like we've got a lot more to talk about.
1: <laughs> it's a very popular book. She she has a book called Girl, Wash Your Face. Girl, Stop Apologizing. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So she's very popular, and there's and what she's saying is true. But as it, there's also always a danger of being so consumed with living our dreams, yeah, yeah. so consumed with, you know, I, I'm, with the hustle, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about the hustle. And you know what? It isn't all about the hustle, really. It's about what, what are we, you know, it's about serving him. You know, we, we have died to ourselves. Yeah. And so what does that mean? And that looks, that could look like a successful business. And it could look like in your you know, every decade or every year you're progressing in your income and your dreams are being more fulfilled or whatever or it could look very different. God could call you to do a completely different thing and to go somewhere else and 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 it, and according to the world standards or what people think it, it may not look like anything. It may look like you're actually being demoted or you're backtracking or you're doing something that isn't worthy of your stage in life. Yeah. And so that is a lesson for me too that I've been embracing is that you know what? Yeah, I I probably had expected to be in a different place in life, maybe financially or I, I mean I left my nice cushy corporate job four years ago, not because uh, I wanted to leave the job necessarily, it's just that I wanted to build something. I had dreams of building a business and leaving a legacy for your children and having more than enough to provide for them and provide for others. The American and you know, Dream. The American Dream, yeah. And so i that's why my parents brought me here from, from Chile. I came here when I was five to uh, get an education and to live the American Dream. But I think the American Dream isn't always uh, in sync with what God has for us. Mm. And so that's and that's really hard to to swallow and hard to accept as believers because we get sucked into that. And Romans talks about do not conform to the pattern of this world. And that is, that is a full-time job, to not conform to the pattern of this world because... All these patterns. That's the messaging we get. Yeah, absolutely, and and even with well-meaning, intentional Christians, and and one thing I'm not suggesting that we don't follow our dreams, but a they have to be God given dreams. Those are the ones we follow, and God can change us without notice, <laughs> yeah. and we have to be willing. And then we, if if He wants us to change those dreams, we just uh, we just obey, and we we do what He's called us to do. But at the end of the day, chasing your dream or your hustle isn't fulfilling anyway if it's not what God has called you to do right so we're really us us changing our plans to match his plans for us is really best for us in the end Mm -hmm. because that's how we're only going to be truly content yeah
0: so I'm uh, writing a blog right now called labels and I've just and I think more for uh, my perspective of being a musician Mm -hmm. and the idea of I've been so married to being a musician Mm -hmm that it's hard to hear, like, what if God, like, what if musician, even though musician has been my story for, as professionally for the last 20 years, what Mm -hmm. if, like, that's not the story God has Mm -hmm. for the next chapter? Mm -hmm. But I'm so consumed with the idea of that. And it's like, it's sort of the same thing, like American Dream, uh, I'm a lawyer, I'm a actor, I'm a writer, I'm a this, I'm a that, and we get so caught up in what we are and we, I mean, we do it with layers and layers. I'm a Christian. I'm an evangelical. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. Mm-hmm. I'm a, and we like bury ourselves in these titles and these identities, mm-hmm. and
1: and it can be very confusing, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. Okay, so you're you're from Chile. I am Chile. Chi, soy chileno. I'm from Chile. Yes.
0: And do you remember being there, like as a kid?
1: Uh, a little bit. I mean, I've been back. I've been back several times, maybe a handful of times, so it's hard to say whether I remembered it from my original. <laughs> Your family's not there anymore. My my actually my my family is there. Many okay. of them, not all of them, but many many of them are have aunts, uncles, cousins, and people like that, yeah? yeah. I mean my from both sides of my family, we were the first to come to the States. And since then I've had cousins and others that have come to the States.
0: Did you, but your parents moved with you, right?
1: My parents came actually first, they came, my parents came during, if some of you may remember Pinochet, who was a dictator in Chile, huh. and there was a government coup in 1973 when I was one. I was actually at the capital. my parents used to work in the, in the uh, in, for the government office, and one of the, when they bombed the capital to, to, for the government coup, there were tanks that came in and whatnot. <laughs> that day I happened to not be there. <laughs> But uh, I would normally go go there to the daycare uh, at this government building. and uh, Anyway, so it was a very tumultuous time in Chile. So my parents had already moved <laughs> to the States. And it wasn't necessarily because of that. My dad always had this dream of, of coming to the States. Is uh, that
0: hard to get out of, out of there? Like, uh, the it time? wasn't
1: at the time. No, I don't, I don't think so. And I don't, it, it didn't have anything to do with the turmoil necessarily. It just yeah, coincided yeah. with it. But So my parents came to the States four years before I did. And they, they came, the idea was for them to kind of pave the way that, to figure things out. They didn't really know that, they had no idea that it would be four years yeah, yeah. without my older brother, <coughs> sister and I. So we stayed with, I lived with my grandmother uh, for four years in Chile while they were here. So they were, as far as I knew, my grandmother was my mom. My grandfather was my dad. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. How long were you with him? Four years. About four years, yeah. Okay. So I moved to the States, moved to New York uh, when I was five and a half uh, oh. in 1977. Because so. that's the dream. That, well, you know, that's where, it, if you're from another country, you don't really, you know, most people, at least back then in New York, L.A., you know, yep. those other places you go Do to. Do you have
0: to come through, like, is there a, a process, like, when you...
1: I mean, there is an immigration process, I don't, I mean, you don't have, they don't dictate where you go, right. but, uh, and I, I don't know exactly why my dad and mom chose to go to New York, other than... Uh, that's what they knew, I guess. It's in the movies. It's in the movies, yeah, I guess. I don't know. They they liked staying, they liked uh, Saturday Night Fever, I don't know. Oh my gosh. No, just kidding. That was, I think, that was before (laughs) then. I don't know. I don't know, but that's where they landed, and didn't know anybody, didn't know anything, didn't know the language, just, I think they had, you know, 600 bucks or something real small to just live off of, and... Yeah, and they, they were just here to try to figure it out, to figure out, okay, how, do, how does this visa immigration thing work? And then they ended up, it took four years to bring us here, so that was not intended. Yeah. In fact, my that's my mom's biggest regret, had she known that she would have left me as a one-year-old oh, yeah. and not be back for another four years, she would have never yeah. made the move. But God knows, you know, well, that he wanted me here, so. Did that, that affect y'all's relationship at it all? It did, honestly it did. I, and I haven't, I didn't really understand it until later, right. but I... And, I, and I'm, I'm not a believer in being a victim, meaning things happen to us, but I don't believe they define us, and I, don't, and I believe you can move on. However, I think it's important to identify those things and at least acknowledge them. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, I, I, that brought on abandonment issues and, mm-hmm. and things that I didn't expect uh, that surfaced later on. You
0: were nine when you finally.
1: I was five and a half, so I was ages one to f- one to five is when I was without her. Oh, okay, okay. So, so and yeah. those are still very pivotal years, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and you build bonds that, you know, I don't understand. God, God made us wonderfully and amazingly, and I don't know exactly all, how it all works as far as how we connect as humans. But I know that, 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 that there is a there's, there's a deep connection there. Areas, yeah. And so I I wasn't there during those years and so and it was in and one of the one of the big realizations of that abandonment when I started to think about that was when I went back to Chile <clears throat> once uh, when I was eighteen and I when I went home to my grandmother's house and for the first time I felt like, Wow, this is home uh, yeah. And it's not like my parents are bad parents are great parents That's but course. there's all, there seemed to be just something missing, like right. A disconnect and uh, and it wasn't their fault. It's just it just happened, you know. And it's a real thing. So I, I can only imagine, the stuff that people, the baggage that people have to deal with that have, have been orphaned, and deliberately and all yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff, you know. But but they say even you know in the womb, scientists scientists say that even in the womb you can sense rejection. You know, if you're an unwanted baby mm-hmm. somehow, or it's, you're an oops baby, that 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 you're affected by that. And so yeah, so I was impacted by that, and uh, I think. Uh, I, th- I think, um, I-, I can't say that, I'm, that I have completely overcome, but I'm aware of it and it's, it's an impacted just different yeah. parts of my life, different relationships. I think it still impacts somewhat my, my relationship with my mom, even though I don't want it to, but it does, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. But obviously God heals and all that and we have a great relationship, but um, yeah, I-, I can't explain it, but yeah, it does, I was impacted by that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would imagine there's, you know, as a baby, I mean, I I think so on a common sense level, like we have nothing off for the world except to learn because we're brand new and it's Mm -hmm. like, what else can we do but figure, you know what I mean? Like figure things, our brains are, you know, we come into this world with a brain that's empty, you know, so all it is is a sponge to like try to figure it out. So I'd imagine this first five years from the womb on so you're so impressionable because there's, you know, yeah. you're trying, you're, you're just learning who's who and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so when mommy is not around, I mean, it sticks. I mean, I watched, I've watched family members who were close to me who had issues at early on and it's still, you know, into their thirties and forties. It's yeah. still
1: affects them. really
0: affecting them. Yeah. Right now. Which, you know, like, you know, you would say, well, get over it but it's like it's in it's in, a, in a in a way it's sort of in, ingrained in you I mean like mm-hmm. you can't just go well I'll get over it you right. know it's it um, it helps you realize like how much empathy we need to have mm-hmm. for others yeah because you know? yeah. I didn't used to think I uh, you know growing up with with like an alcoholic mom and stuff mm. like anytime I hear about people who would go well he had a hard child life a uh, lot uh, childhood I'd be like, well, I got over it. They should get over it. <laughs> and it's so, you know, like, yeah, uh, so horrible to say that because like the ex- the experience that it has on us, just you know, from a science perspective, right, like, right, you know, right, how it affects us, like you can't just go, well, turn that off, and then right. now I'll, I'll be my best self. Now you know, yeah, right. so um, see so how I would imagine it has stuck with you. Has she? How how old are they now? Uh, my
1: father passed away, but my mother is. Uh See, she is 68. Yeah, and where is she? She's in Chattanooga, a couple hours away. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. so she's here. That's a cool place. Yeah, it is, actually. Do y'all go there at all? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I mean, to see her. Yeah, yeah. Not to experience the cool places necessarily, but just
0: to see her. I love it. uh, When we found out that we were going to sell our previous house... We were in Chattanooga for yeah. the first time. We'd never done that. And that was that was a we had a great time over there. It
1: actually got really cool once we left, once I left. <laughs> That's
0: what it is. I, it. I, left, Thanks I, left, I
1: left to go to college here at MTSU in, Mur- in Murfreesboro and all of a sudden they they the whole downtown was remodeled and the walking bridge and all this yeah, aquarium and all this stuff. I was like, where was this when I was growing up?
0: <laughs> okay, so Five and a half you get here. Yeah. What happens next?
1: So I lived in New York for about a year. First grade was basically in New York City. Upstate or in New the York City, city yeah, right. Flushing, Queens. Uh, and uh, the big memory there is I remember that my parents gave us bikes. My And my older brother and I both came. My sister, I had a sister in which she stayed in Chile. And that's a whole other story. But my brother and I, we got cr- first Christmas here. My mom and dad gave us bikes. But it was funny because... We couldn't really ride the bikes by ourselves. My mom or dad had to be hovering with us to make sure that either nobody <laughs> nobody, stole the bike or nobody stole us. <laughs> I know oh my God. So we, we moved to a little place called Collegedale, Tennessee, outside of Chattanooga. Okay. My, parents, my parents were Seventh-day Adventists, and they had heard that this place called Collegedale has a Seventh-day Adventist college, and and so they wanted us to have the grade school, high school, college education in the Seventh mm-hmm. Avenue environment. So yeah. they moved us to to College Dale when I was a second grade. How funny! Yeah. So.
0: For the intent of you going to college there.
1: Yeah, I mean, for start going through the whole educational system in okay. the Seventh Avenue schools all the way through. Yeah,
0: yeah. And was it true? Do they have like?
1: Yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, yeah. and it, it's funny. Even still today, I mean, if you go to College Dale, within maybe within thirty minutes, you you probably have. Easily ten or more Seventh Day Adventist churches. You know, where's it at? It's at twenty minutes between Cleveland, Tennessee, and Chattanooga. North, okay. north of Chattanooga. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Little Debbie snack cakes. It's they're famous for Little Debbie snack cakes. They're <laughs> Seventh Day <Adventist. laughs> Of course, the Seventh Day Adventists
0: would come out with. Yeah,
1: there? yeah. They all. They, everybody in the area works there, or a lot of people want to work there. Oh, it's like, it's like the place to be. <laughs> so, um, so you move there, and you're there. I um, was there until. Uh, my I did two years of college there, or three years of college, and I went to U- I, I did not go to the Seventh Adventist College. I graduated from the Seventh Avenue High School, mm-hmm. and, but then I decided I uh, because I was paying for my college. I went to the public university. <laughs> I went to <laughs> UT Chattanooga, and I, and uh, and uh, I moved to MTSU. And honestly, UT. Uh, three years UT Chattanooga in Chattanooga. Oh. So and I had been and during that time in college. I decided that I, I left my Seventh Avenue faith because I felt like a hypocrite. Yeah, uh, because
0: but I, what was, why, why, like what was it about Seventh-day Adventist? Well,
1: because, and you know, Seventh-day some have changed and things have changed mm-hmm. and, and, and with any faith, it's it might be different, if you come from Chile, you might think a little differently than if you were Seventh-day Adventist here, but all I can tell you is the way that I was raised, yeah, of course. is that uh, I was not allowed to go to movies, to go to movie theaters and I did that, I was not allowed to listen to rock music and I was obsessed by music and rock music. And I wasn't allowed to wear jewelry. I worked at a Chinese fast food place, and my boss gave me this gold bracelet that I wore. So, and the, so I felt like a hypocrite yeah. because I was a, We didn't have sab- Sunday school teachers. We had Sabbath school teachers. Mm-hmm. I was a Sabbath school teacher for fourth and fifth graders. I was also a deacon in the church, and, and I was I mean the community is very small that I grew up in, and I was like. At the high school, I was senior class president, and I was vice president of student government. I was all these things, and I, you know, I, people knew us, right? Yeah, and yeah. so it was a big deal when I left the church, but I, I just felt like I couldn't stay around and be... I felt like I was a hypocrite. Yeah. If I claimed to be a Seventh-day Adventist and I was doing these things like listening to rock music and going to movies and dancing and wearing jewelry, I I, 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 I couldn't say that I was that. So I, I quit, and it was a big deal, uh, but... So you all became... I became nothing at that point. I would still go. Yeah. And then it wasn't... I moved to... I moved to go to school at Middle Tennessee State University here in Nashville.
0: But and you were... Oh, back up. So, like, you were, like, class president. Like, y'all were in the middle of the social club. World.
1: I was, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, we were... I mean, yeah, I was pretty involved and, mm-hmm. you know, people respected me and all that stuff. and But I just... I just felt like a hypocrite uh, the bottom line. Because it's and, not what you wanted. It's not what I wanted and I didn't understand it. You know, they were they were... Interesting things like we, we we could not eat out on the Sabbath, we could not go pay someone, but we would do things like we, we there's a place called Ryan Steakhouse, it's a big buffet. My parents loved it, so and it we didn't want to break the Sabbath, so what we would do is buy a voucher ahead of time before sunset on Friday. We would go and buy our lunch tickets for this for the next day, so that we wouldn't be quote unquote paying on the Sabbath. Oh my god! But. We would go there, and of course, amazing. other people were making our food <laughs> right, <laughs> on the Sabbath, right. serving us on the Sabbath, but no, we were not paying on the Sabbath. So, there are things like that, like I wasn't allowed to wear shorts on Sabbath, I think because that would maybe promote me to play and exercise, I don't know. We could walk, but not, no, we could walk, but not ride bikes, and just wow. interesting things like that, you know, so... I, you know, and I know my parents, this is not a bash of my parents, they did the best they could. Of course. They knew, but it just, I, I just, I didn't quite get it and I just felt like, you know, I don't know. I, I felt like a hypocrite at the end of the day. So, yeah. So, uh. Even though you weren't. Well, I was in that I was doing these things that were against. Right, right. I was a hypocrite because I was listening to the rock music and the devil's music and I was going to, going to movies and. Wearing jewelry, all things that that were against the, the rules. There's a big prophetess in the SDA movement called Ellen G. White, and she's written tons of books about how to you know, those things and how to behave in movie theaters and football, all kinds of stuff that she writes about diet and yada yada. So, wow. So yeah, so that's how I grew up. Very strict and and uh, also very and once again, my, my dad did the best he could, but there was some fatherlessness in his life that translated to my life. And, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, yeah, and, and as, as, as you know, the way that we perceive God is often, for better or for worse, is the way that we perceive our, our parents, specifically our dad, mm-hmm. right? And so I grew up in a home where I knew my dad's loved me. My, my dad loved me, but he never voiced it. He never mm-hmm. said it, you know. And, and because of my, the fact that the first four years of my life, I didn't grow up with them, whenever I did move in with them here at the States, I was all about pleasing them and trying to make them happy, yeah, so to speak, and yeah, you know, yeah, trying yeah. to get them to love me in a way, you know, and for example, I would say things like I wanted to be a pastor, even though I didn't necessarily want to be a pastor, I still may be one who knows, but I, I, I would say things just to Never make them happy, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I got baptized when I was eight as a boy because I knew that that would make them happy, so, so I was always doing things to make them happy, and, and I, would, I was always getting straight A's, I think I got one B in, in high school, Now that... That was a whole other thing. For you. But yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but I was always trying to be the good boy. But it was because of my attempt to earn their earn their love and favor, and, and not that I had to. I mean, like I said, this is not about them. They didn't. They love. I know they love me, but just you know, it's just the it's just part of how I grew up, flawed yeah. and, and feeling. And so, I think that that bled into my perception of God. You know, mm-hmm. I was never good enough for God. I was, you know, if I got A's, my my. I was asked why didn't I get an A plus, you know, and it's like, well, you know, they didn't give it or whatever. So, so yeah, so my perception of God wasn't the true perception of who He is, and mm-hmm. so, and then of course, if you add all these rules to to God, it's like, well, well
0: that's that's kind of why I said the comment of like, I don't know that you were a hypocrite because like everything that you described about the rules and the strictness was a polar opposite of like uh, what Christ was all about. So right, at the end right, of the day, right. It, Right. It might put you in a tight position, but I don't know that you're necessarily a hypocrite. Maybe in the eyes right. of everybody, the community
1: you're in. But or I, I, what I, I guess what I meant was, if I call myself this and I'm not acting in the way that that yeah, type yeah. of person acts, and I, it's better for me to say no, I'm not. That. Yeah. yeah than to claim that, that I'm so... Did that
0: affect your parents? Like, did the the community people...
1: They did. I mean, years later, I even heard that people that were on the church board that were, like, parents of my friends, they're crying and stuff. Because I I turned in a resignation letter to the church. It's a very formal process. How to become a member and all that. Yeah. And even, it's, you know, there are times when even my parents or my siblings, mostly my mom, you know, have have said things, you know, about coming back to the fold and that kind of thing. Still? It happened uh, surprisingly uh, about six months ago. I was telling my mom about some issues, some stuff, and and it came out again. I was like, "Mom, wow, <laughs> you still believe? <laughs> you're still, still going there?" But I mean, it's been twenty plus years. But oh my goodness! Yeah, but I mean, it, it's 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 well intentioned, so I don't take it personally. But um, you know, there's certain faiths. that believe that if, unless you're you're of their faith, then you're not going to go to heaven. And so right, oh, yeah. and I think the way I understood it is. SDAs are going to go to heaven. Seventh day Adventists, but and then there might be others that get pulled in, but because, because because they're they're they believe that they are the only ones that that truly follow the Bible because they keep the Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath, so that's their big claim to uh, to being correct. Is well, we're the only ones that really keep the Sabbath, and so so anyway. So because of that, I, I still I I I used to initially I don't anymore as much, but I used to get things sent in the mail and and whatnot, but. They're, I mean, overall they're fine with it. I mean, whenever we have family gatherings or something, you know, I'm usually the one that is asked to pray and my sisters, I mean, they, they have seen me, they, the thing is they've seen the fruit, right? They've seen my walk, my walk these last, especially these last four years that have been tumultuous and my younger sister went on this mission trip to Belize and her whole life has kind of changed, which has been amazing. So I, I I, I think, I don't think they're too worried, but... (laughs) you got two I have I have three sisters one's in Chile but two younger sisters that mm. were here and those are the two that I'm closest to
0: what are your relationship to them are they good
1: oh yeah I think so I mean it's they're eight and ten years younger than I uh-huh. so in some ways I'm like their dad and uh, I was in fact my sister just told me that the one I went to Belize my youngest sister who's <laughs> ten years younger she's she always tells me that I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm like her fa- her father, and yeah. you know I changed her diapers and I took care of them. And yeah, I, yeah. I learned to be a dad in many ways through them. So, so yeah. So I mean, it's it's sisters. It's different. You know, there's certain things you don't share with sisters, and because and I left to go to school when my youngest was twelve, so I, I wasn't home with them all the time. But I obviously love them to pieces. Sometimes I catch myself still calling my oldest. Uh, the name of my sister's, <laughs> my oldest child. Yeah, yeah. I still recall her. The name of my sister, is, but <laughs> but yeah, they're great. You know, I don't see them a lot. They're ones in Denver, ones now in Texas. But um, yeah, we have a good relationship. I have a, my older brothers in Chattanooga. He and I don't speak. Yeah. Not because of my, not my choice. His choice. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And then my my sisters in Chile. I have an older sister in Chile. So
0: when you left Seven Day and decided to go to, U uh, T Chattanooga. Was it was was that like. A form of rebelliousness like I'm gonna no no I
1: had already decided to go to UT. I mean I I graduated with the, the biggest scholarship that, that they could possibly give me to go to the seventh Aventist College but it still wasn't wasn't close to what I needed. so I actually quit the church after I had already started going to UTC okay, so that yeah. wasn't that wasn't necessarily caused by that yeah, yeah, yeah. so no I mean uh, the the next part of that story is after after uh, UTC I came to MTSU Middle Tennessee State University because I found out that they had a music business program Mm -hmm. and I was always... I grew up, my my secret passion that that I had to hide from my parents was my love of music. I mean, I knew every artist song i used to consume billboard magazine i used to con- i have the billboard top 40 hits how funny i know every label what first single second single yeah. i know oh that's the radio mix that's the wrong edit you know so I, I, that was like my how people know sports scores that was my passion wow. knowing music understanding music i would win stuff contests on the radio of, you know name, name that tune <laughs> kind of stuff and in two seconds i can tell you who it is but this is all kind of the secret life that I had to have because my parents didn't prove it all. So. So when I, but when I came to MTSU, I was like, wow, you can actually have a career. I, I, I was a business major, and I loved marketing. And so I thought, wow, you can actually do that in the music business. That's mm-hmm. amazing. So mm-hmm. I came to MTSU, and, and of course, my my parents were thinking that I wanted to be a DJ because I did DJ while I was at UTC. I used to DJ oh, wow. frat parties and things like that. And, and they were like, you want to be a DJ? And they were my dad was surprised that I would leave my quote unquote really great job at McKee Foods. Uh, because everybody in the area, that's their that's like their dream is to work at McKee Foods. Little what Debbie Little Debbie Snack Cakes. Oh okay. Yeah. That I left because I was working there part-time. That's and the dream. That was a dream for a lot of people there. If you're gonna work at a kind of a blue collar job, that's the place to be. Yeah, and so of course. my I was leaving this good job to come be a DJ. I was like, no dad, I'm not gonna be a DJ. I think I at the time I, I think the way I explained to him it's like, no I'm gonna pretend I'm working for a company just like IBM, but it's just a record company, and I'll be working as a business person. You know, I still don't think even after he did, until his death, that he really knew what I was doing, <laughs> knew what what the music business was, Not or right. what I did, and so so. When, but when I came to MTSU, I just I visited the Seventh Adventist Church that's close by, and and it just seemed to be. The average age was ninety five at the time, or so of everybody who attended. So I, I just didn't go. So really, it was. It wasn't until my senior year in high, in college that I was about to graduate, and then I started panicking, going, "Okay, God, I think I need you now. What am I gonna do? <laughs> where, where are you uh, about to start real life, so to speak?" And the so, Debbie's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I started. Um, I think I had a friend. When I, my first job out of college, my first real job. I had some other ones, but was working for Sparrow Records, which is still around as a label. as part of. Uh, Capital Christian Music Group now, but uh, I had a friend there, he used to work, he used to go to church at a place called Christ Community Church. They were Presbyterian-leaning, so I started going to his church, then I moved to Atlanta to work for EMI Mainstream when EMI existed, and I ended up going to Andy Stanley's church there, Mm -hmm. which is a Baptist, and I came back to Nashville to work at a country label called RCA, and so when I came back to Nashville, I was like, all right, God, I'm not... I don't want to be, I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist, I'm not a Baptist, I'm not a Presbyterian. I just, I just want to be a Christian. <laughs> so I looked at the, yellow. back then we actually used Yellow Pages. It was pre, pre-phones. That's a phone book, everybody. I know, right? Good. So I, I looked at the Yellow Pages for non-denominational and inter-denominational churches. Yeah. And so then I found this place called Bethel World Outreach Center in Brentwood, Tennessee. And I was there for almost 20 years. And that was, I know that was a big part of me coming back to Nashville is really learning true lordship true discipleship Mm. and and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I learned, uh, I was in the choir for nine years. Love that. That's a a whole new thing that I never expected to be part of. And just, it was just a great place of learning and training and maturing in in the Lord um, for almost 20 years. Yeah. How long were you at UT? UTC, I was there for three years and then MTSU too. So I did the five-year plan. And you finished out with? Recording industry management with a minor business and a minor mass mass communication.
0: yeah, yeah. And your first job was Sparrow?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I was actually my first job was at a record store back when there was retail for yeah. about six weeks. I was in a, I was in a training program to be to to open up my own store, but, oh. but I I didn't want to move to Iowa or somewhere where they're going to move me. So fortunately, Sparrow came along, and so yes, yeah, I consider Sparrow my first real job. Yeah. So I was in marketing at the label, and it was funny because God always seems to put me in places where I know nothing, because even though I grew up Christian. I had no idea about Stephen Curtis Chapman, any, anything related to Christian music, yeah. honestly, uh, because, yeah, I was too busy listening to Depeche Mode and Nine Inch Nails and knew <laughs> nothing awesome. about that stuff. <laughs> Total opposite. Yeah. So, That's um, awesome. Yeah. But, yeah, but Sparrow was great. And you were there for how long? I was there actually less than a year because I ended up, it, Sparrow was bought by EMI at the time. So I ended up moving to Atlanta to work for EMI distribution. EMI no longer exists, but so I was only about nine months moved to Atlanta. My goal at the time was to uh, eventually run a record company. That was my ultimate dream of coming to Nashville. And the way to get there was to end up in some kind of VP of marketing role. And so I did land a marketing role, entry-level marketing role at Sparrow. But I knew that in order for me to be a better marketer, I had to understand distribution And so I, I, there was a job opening in Atlanta to work in distribution as a, as a single sales rep. So we sold physical CD singles, cassette singles. Actually, CD singles were just starting to be around. It was mostly cassette singles, 12-inch vinyl, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, so I went to Atlanta. I landed that job and I was there for about a year and a half and working a, a broad spectrum of artists. We, during that time, it was pretty fun. we, Re-released uh, the Beatles anthology were a big oh, deal wow. they, and we worked Smashing Pumpkins, Lenny Kravitz, Janet Jackson, Looney's, all kinds of hip, al- we, we were representing all kinds of labels, country music. Yeah.
0: Did you meet any of these people?
1: Oh, of course. Yeah, I met tons of people. Did I you really? mean, in Atlanta, every every week, there every day there's some shows, so we're all, I was always at shows and meeting yeah. all kinds of, yeah, meeting all kinds of people. What
0: was the highlight artist you, you met?
1: Tori Amos comes to mind, but Tori, I met met her when I was at MTSU, actually, I I, I was an intern at an event called NARM. Yeah. I met Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, Uh, but that was, yeah. Um, I don't know, I mean, I met all kinds of people, Garth Brooks, DC Talk, I mean, tons of people, but, you know, I I was never super starstruck necessarily, like, I don't know, I mean, I know there are people that obsess, and that was way before the selfie age, so I don't even have pictures to prove it,
0: (laughs) you know, but... (laughs) I, I actually, I just
1: remember that I met Ringo Starr, but that was, and that was pretty cool because wow. I'm a huge Beatle, but that wasn't, that was indirectly, I was stuck at an airport in the Atlanta airport, I was lost looking for my car, all of a sudden I see Ringo Starr waiting on the curb, and I'm like, that's Ringo, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to say hi, and I'm like, wait a minute, it's a Beatle, <laughs> <laughs> of course I'm going to say hi, so I went over there, and I, and I shook his hand, it was kind of cold and clammy, and I said, hi, work for EMI, you know, love your music, whatever, and he's like, ah, oh, you know, shakes my hand, and I'm sure he was so thrilled that yeah. here's another guy who's... He's probably
0: to, on a podcast right now talking about the... I know. Bi- the, <laughs> it, yeah, so,
1: so yeah, I met you know, all kinds of people, but um, I, I was never super star, star-struck. They're just people at the end of the day, of course. I mean, here I am with you, right? Chris uh, You know. That's cool, though. I mean, that's cool. I'm sure that was fun. It was how, fun. how long
0: you were you at EMI? I was
1: at EMI uh, three... Uh, sorry, about a year and a half until I came back to Nashville to work at RCA Country, Another time when I was like, "What am I doing?" I have no idea about country music, and I have <laughs> I have all kinds of stories about that too. That just you know prove the fact that I knew nothing. Like the the very <laughs> the very first day I came to the office, uh, there was, there was, there was our, our sale our the assistant to our department was was there, and I came in, and I, and she says to me, "Hey, have you met have have you have you met uh, No, she says to the person visiting with her, "Have you met Gabriel? And I said, and I said, no, oh, hi, I'm Gabriel, what's your name? And the person responded saying they were Mindy, and and Mindy is Mindy McCready, and at the time, Mindy McCready was the platinum artist for the label, paying the bills at RCA, and so I felt terrible, because here comes this new guy that doesn't even know who the artist is. To my credit, she didn't look like the pictures. <laughs> she was dressed in sweats, with a lot of makeup, you know, so... But yeah, it's another one of those times where I'm like, God, what am I doing here? But oh you know, get about a year and a half later I knew all the all the hits on the radio and I knew who everybody was and I was doing the boot scoop boogie and <laughs> had yeah, it all figured what out. What year was that? This was uh nineties? Like Ninety six. Yeah. Ninety six. That would be boot scoot boogie. Yeah, Brooks and Dunn and yeah. And there was another there was another crazy story too. There's several but one <laughs> One of them, there at the time, there's a guy, There were two ties in the industry. There's a guy named Ty England and a guy named Ty Herndon. Our artist was Ty England. Ty Herndon was uh, had recently been arrested for solicitation, and he was on Garth Brooks' label, Capital. And so anyway, I, Ty England, our artist, I had put together a marketing plan that we were presenting to his manager, Bob Doyle, who also managed Garth at the time. So at this board meet, at this meeting, I'm handing out this piece of paper with. marketing plan for Thai England and then right behind me my co-workers picking it back up and then I realized that I had put Thai Herndon instead of (laughs) Thai England on this marketing plan and so at the time you could do we had whiteouts so we were whiting out Herndon Uh. and then and then so there was just a big blank Thai blank you know, where and that's was somebody there?
0: that wasn't even on your label, right? No,
1: it wasn't because it just, you know I, I I was learning this whole country thing. I, you know, I never grew up with country music. I had no idea. I was like, <laughs> I mean, I knew it was just a mistake, you know. And so, anyway. <laughs> oh my gosh! So we had have stories about Sarah Evans not wanting to get on a plane because we we're doing a uh, we we're doing a promo tour. She didn't want to get on a puddle jumper, and I'm begging her, please get on this plane. Get on this. Why would she get on the plane? because it was a puddle jumper it was a very small plane to get to wherever we we're going oh my gosh so I'm having to beg her to get on this plane and <laughs> <out the bed. laughs> we That's got nice. kicked kicked out of a almost kicked out of an in-store because Aaron Tippin one of our artists was packing <laughs> a packing a gun at Kmart so anyway <laughs> kinds of craziness.
0: those were fun I did those um, those in-store like Target Walmart yeah. concerts oh yeah the Walmart
1: tour I was a big part of that No. Yeah. That-
0: that those are always weird. Like, sometimes it was good. Other times it was like, why are we on aisle nine playing some music? No one's paying attention to yeah. it. You
1: know? yeah. um, here's another one, too. I, so, Martina McBride, we were doing an in-store with her, and somehow, it may have been partially my fault. I don't know for sure, but uh, the product did not show up to the in-store. And, of course, you know, that's an embarrassing situation. So, I had to go to all every store in Kansas City and buy... Uh, cartons you know the cartons full of, of her new cd all over the store i'm fortunate there were a lot of record stores at the time that yeah. had so i had to yeah, buy yeah. all the inventory from every other store bring it to walmart oh my god <laughs> just so she could sell resell of it course. there and then they could they could oh uh, my god they could sign
0: it but yeah that's hysterical <laughs> hopefully y'all priced it for more you well, been, it was well,
1: it's up to Walmart, so whatever they wanted, whatever they they wanted to do, but it was funny. I don't think Martina knew, which is what you want, right? You don't yeah, have to, you know, to know the details. But.
0: So, you're at RC for a year and a half, too. Year and a half, yeah.
1: And then I ended up going to uh, Pioneer Music Group, which was a startup. Uh, Pioneer Electronics out of Japan started a label, and the label was kind of all over the place as far as genres. We had Cece Wine, and she was our marquee artist, but then we also had this industrial mainstream band called Full on the Mouth we had a songwriter named Judson Spence we had Nancy Allen Kane a singer songwriter we had a jazz group called The Staff with Kirk Whalem and Sheila E and we were just all over the place So, cow. but we lasted about a year and a half and then we shut down the funniest the funniest thing about that label not that it shut down but we had an amazing building at the factory that we yeah. had, had refurbished in downtown Franklin that we had refurbished. And The day that we closed, there's a big newspaper article about our amazing office. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it was the day that we closed. <laughs> <laughs> so you actually learn a lot when a label's folding. You learn a lot when a company's closing down, you know. And so so that that lasted about a year and a half. And then I went to Gosco Centric, another brand new thing, uh, Kirk Franklin, Trinity 5-7, uh, but I knew nothing really about gospel music uh, and so it was a whole and that was a whole nother experience uh, working in that world that I even an artist steal my expense check. It wasn't Kirk Franklin, <laughs> But I had uh, all kinds of stories you really agree. related to that, but a thousand plus dollars expense check that one of our artists cashed in my name in San Francisco or somewhere in Northern California. <laughs> and these are people that I knew that knew me. that claimed that I was their dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I was like, what?
0: D-O-G, not D-O-D-A-W-G, Yes, obviously.
1: Yeah. yeah, so anyway, it's all kinds of crazy stories. It's so like a year well. and a
0: half seems to be your, like...
1: It did, and it's because at the time, you know, music was booming. CDs, CDs had, were, were a new big thing, so people were rebuying all their, their cassette, their catalog, they were yeah. buying them in CDs. I mean, music industry sales probably peaked in the 2000s, right? That's when... An, an Usher album could sell 10,000, 10 million, sorry, like that, you know. and For $25. Yeah, and, and sync and Britney and uh, Backstreet Boys could easily pull off a million plus on opening weeks and all that. That's, those days are way gone. I mean, you have the rare instance now where Adele might do 10 million, but mm. it's very rare. So, yeah, so it was, it was, it was easy. To, every job was onward and upward, more money, more opportunity, more growth. And so... Uh, after the Gospel Center thing, I ended up working at the Gospel Music Association, which mm-hmm. is kind of the the embassy for all the gospel music. And it was when, actually when the, you there? I was there 2002 to 2009, and mm-hmm. I was originally hired for. There were three nonprofits within one building. There's the Gospel Music Association, which is the one that most people know. That's the home of the Dove Awards, and that one encompasses everybody: artists, managers, writers, musicians, uh, record companies. Uh, PROs like ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. Mm. I came in, and then there's also the Gospel Music Foundation Association Foundation, which we're the Hall of Fame. We're trying to build a building, all this kind of stuff. But the other nonprofit there is a trade association called the Christian Music Trade Association, and that is just a trade association for record companies, just record companies. Yeah. So there was nobody else involved with that. So I was the executive director for that initially, and I we were running Christian SoundScan. We we had it. Uh, Nielsen SoundScan relied on my office to create policies for SoundScan what gets on what chart yeah. does this title does this belong in the black gospel chart or the southern gospel chart or this So we did all that We does it even belong the Christian charts at all we received all the retail reports from across the country and had to verify and validate and get in arguments with labels that would tell us that their sales were higher than what we're showing yeah and we did. We also did. We we. I, this was my idea. This. We started this anti piracy program called Millions of Wrongs Don't Make It Right. We worked with with the Recording Industry Association of America. At the time, Napster was huge, and so uh, people illegal Napster before it became. Yeah. So we were we were really hot and heavy on on just educating people that you know copying stuff is is. Is uh, piracy so and then over time I ended up taking on uh the VP of marketing biz dev for the gospel music association so I bled into that and that was a lot of fun too ironically on the I was going to mention on the Christian on the on the anti piracy ironically I was one of those people obsessed with Napster when it came out and downloading every every <laughs> downloading <laughs> downloading every uh Every you know remix and oh this is Prince live in France. I don't have this one. I have the one in <laughs> Portugal, but not the one in in Spain. You know, just I needed every remix, extended oh mix, every live version of whatever favorite song. You know, so so I had to repent, and then I had to you know, I had to stop doing that once I became the piracy dude.
0: I like I picked up on because um, it was so so much was happening at once with the introduction of computers and just trying to figure out what the internet was, and then Napster came out of the, you know, like. I never like really jumped on the bandwagon with Napster. I knew I, I had downloaded some songs used, and then all of a sudden it was in the news like that Yeah the uh, the government will come and get you and find yeah. you and all that stuff. But um
1: Well I was single at the time, Chris, and I I have,
0: <laughs> yeah. that was
1: my hobby, you know, staying up till <laughs> yeah. staying up till midnight, downloading tracks, getting up at five AM, downloading more tracks.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> Building a collection. That's what you still have, don't you? So. <laughs> yeah, I don't that. actively do it though. But. Oh my gosh! Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean that was um, that was like culture shock for the music industry. It was. It was, so and much we're much. trying to figure
1: it out. And and I'm. It's amazing to see how they've rebounded, how they've embraced, you know, Spotify and everything else. And so yeah, they're actually on track to grow yeah. this year as a as an industry, which. Two thousand. So I, when I left the Gospel Music Association, I was right sized. I call it right sized. I don't. I don't want to use downsized because. Anyway, <laughs> we were, they were lopping heads. So yeah. Yeah. So I was let go, but then I immediately, I shortly, I moved into television, which was a complete surprise, and once again, I had no idea what I'm doing here. And this was, is O nine. O nine. Yeah. Yeah. So the. At the Gospel Music Association, we owned the Dove Awards show, mm-hmm. and so we were licensing it to a television network called Gospel Music Channel at the time. Okay. It's now called Up TV, or Up Entertainment is the LLC, and so I had built a relationship with them, and so uh, my uh, boss at the time wanted me to come over and help them. And my job was to was the head of digital sales. Most TV makes revenue mostly two ways: advertising or carriers. So you know, Comcast. Um, AT, AT&T U-verse, they pay channels X amount per per viewer mm. and, and they also make money through advertising right. so on the advertising piece at the network there was a whole team that, that helped to monetize their on-air bringing the money for on-air advertising how do they
0: keep up with viewers how is that Nielsen about...
1: Nielsen? Nielsen ratings
0: like how do they know
1: who's they, they actually have at now the time it's easier, at the time they know? had set boxes and things like that it was, it was sampling okay, they, they, okay. They, they would they would pay people to to basically monitor their viewing interesting okay and so and they, they the 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 ways they do it now is are a lot more advanced yeah, and yeah it's a lot of it's digitized but yeah so that that obviously played into how much revenue you could bring oh. in right oh. the more the more viewers the more revenue you could bring in so my job was not to bring in on-air advertising revenue was to bring digital revenue from our website so banner ads selling eyeballs that would see our banner ads Emails uh, that would get emails from us, newsletters and all that, and so the original intent of bringing me on was to leverage my music business contacts, and because it was gospel music channel. But interestingly enough, shortly within when they hired me, the the they decided that they had to morph into this broader entertainment channel. So they were bringing in movies, Fireproof, and some of those other things started to do well. So they had to move away from being an MTV of the what as MTV was originally or B E T or CMT into this broader faith-based was. inspirational thing. And so and there and then the the labels money was drying up from a marketing standpoint. So I I, I had to shift my business yeah. into bringing, so I, I started courting the book business, the publishing business. Uh, so HarperCollins, B and H, all those guys and then um we brought on a lot of started to do a lot of stuff with film, God's Not Dead had just come out and so so I had to shift our business into that. Yeah. Um, so I had a team of five people that, that helped me in different ways and so. Yeah, and then over time I was there at Up for about five years and I loved it there, it was great. I Besides the ad stuff, I got into driving traffic to our site by uh, bringing in content, hiring writers to do stuff. I also got into our subscription video on demand service which people, everybody knows Netflix, that's a subscription video on demand service but Up Entertainment has one called Up Faith and Family. So I started doing some marketing for them, also doing some content acquisition, buying titles for the service, um, and so yeah. So I did that for a while and kind of learned a little bit about the cable TV business, digital advertising.
0: Do they do they have? I've always wondered about this because, like the Chris, the Christian subculture, like sometimes it feels weird the fact that it is a subculture that mm-hmm. it separates itself from right. Everybody else, you know, and so like, is it hard for them to maintain like revenue? Like, do they have people that are actually watching up?
1: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the, enough ad- advertisers like... would not be buying yeah. buying spots if they didn't. So, and up up quickly realized <clears throat> that they needed to go broader. So they they did not pigeonhole themselves as a Christian. In fact, when when I left, which has been four years now, they there really was they were pivoting away from courting even Christian advertisers most of my business was was 98% of it was Christian advertisers the mainstream side it was Walmart Procter and Gamble and those guys so uh and they were shifting away from me even courting those guys because they don't want to be perceived as a Christian network and and yeah so that's how they they're still they're they're surviving I don't know if they're thriving I don't know their numbers now but they've been around I mean they've been there over I don't know 14, 15 years So they can be,
0: have they moved more towards like a Hallmark sort of model? Right,
1: right, more, yeah, Uplif- up- it's uplifting entertainment is their slogan, so they do, yeah, so it's not, I mean they probably won't do things that are against the Christian, that will turn off Christian horse, viewers, yeah. but they're not necessarily, the only quote unquote religious programming that they might have might be at Easter, they might, and, and Christmas, they might have, you know, Passion of the Christ movie in yeah, yeah. Easter, but yeah. by and large they're positioned themselves as an inspirational channel, Yeah. and it's brand safe, you know so uh, at the at the time at least a lot of brands were worried about being connected to bad content on YouTube and right. things like that and so that was a big angle is everything our, your your brand is safe with us because our content is not gonna be offensive or, right or anything like that so so yeah I mean they survived Charlie is is an amazing leader he's you know they're we're doing great work so I actually as, as after I left I there's been a couple times when I've done consulting for them to uh, more continue to do some content acquisition and they're still great friends, but
0: has it been tempting to go back? Was it tempting to go back at all?
1: You know, I wasn't because I had a vision, and unfortunately, that vision didn't go quite as I as I anticipated. But no, I mean, I I loved it there. There was nothing wrong with being there. I just felt like I, I wanted to go a different direction, and part of my uh, the the company is based out of Atlanta, but I I'm, I was here in Nashville, and so I. I and I was limited in, some, in how I far I could go up in that business unless I moved to Atlanta. Yeah. And I, did, I tried it. Actually, we were looking at houses down there and didn't feel like that was the right thing. And so we stayed here. And so I somehow, I don't know how this happened, but I decided to, I, I'm a pastor and teacher at heart. That's who I am. And so I somehow developed an interest in finding out more about coaching personal coaching and all that. So that's what I, the reason why I left up was because I wanted to launch my business, my coaching business. And so, so
0: you left o- up without like a B plan already in play. And R, and
1: play. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's
0: <laughs> <laughs> brave.
1: Uh, brave or stupid. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll let you decide. No, I mean, I, I, I was still, they let me stay on as a consultant for six months. So I was yeah. getting half my salary and still doing some stuff for them. But so I had a little bit of a buffer there. Uh, to start, but uh, no, I mean that was what I wanted to do. I felt like that was the time. I've always, I've always done little. I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I was always selling little things in the neighborhood, you know, selling cards or this that, and the other. Um, but and I just thought this was the time to do it. Um, yeah, and what's course- kept
0: you from being a, a pastor? <laughs>
1: I don't know. Uh, it's interesting. I'm not sure why you're asking that. I at this point I feel like I'm called to the business, the world of business. Yeah, you know? I mean,
0: I only ask because you just said my heart and my passion. Well, what I mean, mean
1: is, I meant in the context of a fivefold ministry. You know, mm-hmm. if you have the apostle, the the teacher, the the evangelist. So that's what I mean. Uh, I'm I'm not a post necessarily being a pastor, and I feel like I have that heart, and that's that's part of the coaching thing that I I love people and yeah, uh, I, I love to see people be all that God has called them to be. And so that's the part of me that is a pastor, I guess, at heart. But I, I do feel like I'm called a business. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, that was one of the interesting things of going into coaching. I thought I would love it, and I did like a lot of it. But part of it, my business brain really missed the business. Mm-hmm. And not that there isn't business in that. There is, but it's just different. It's not... Right. It's a different level of business, at least where I was. So... Um, but yeah, and I, interestingly, I was just in Belize on a mission trip and my father-in-law made some comment in passing about being his associate pastor. So who knows, right? I'm not opposed to it. And I, and I do, I'm involved in church in different ways and I lead things and I pastor people unofficially, right. you know, at least based on their feedback to me, you know. So, uh, but who knows? I, I, I don't know. That may be in the future, but I'm not pursuing it right now. Yeah. Call the business. You know, I really believe that... One of my one of my soapboxes about the church in general, if if I'm allowed to give my soapbox, is, is that we applaud missionaries and pastors, which we should, but we don't applaud the businessman, we don't applaud the plumber, yeah. we don't applaud anybody else who's doing something that doesn't feel it's it's work for the Lord, you know.
0: or this is misconception of like ministry is right. a full time job in right. a church, right, right, and, and it's like.
1: Mm, right I don't know and God needs people everywhere so yeah Yeah, so that's um,
0: was that I mean because you're in like corporate world for you to jump to coaching like what made you go I should do coaching (laughs) (laughs) I don't know (laughs) I don't know other than other
1: than I I felt like I wanted to make a more direct impact on people I, I had worked around products and businesses that did help people in certain ways, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I feel like I wanted to try the one-on-one connection. I mean, growing up, I actually wanted to be a teacher, and I realized as soon as a young child that teachers didn't, at least from what I could tell, didn't make a lot of money, yeah. so I didn't think I could support my family. <laughs> so that, but I, that's always been in me, and I've done, I love to do workshops and be connected, and, and there's nothing like, like directly impacting someone, meaning you, you have a conversation, you or pray for them or do say something to them yeah, and you yeah. see the impact that that has on yeah. them and they tell you about it so I guess I, w- I felt like I wanted to do something that was more directly impacting people uh, and I had learned uh, just read enough uh, got into people like Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas and people that were doing that were writing books or doing podcasts or blogging and communicating and building being able to build a business around that. I was like wow I can do that John
0: Lee Dumas is like on fire amazing
1: yeah so, uh, like when I, he
0: does his uh, his monthly um, books when he does the podcast, oh, and yeah. his, his uh, financials. You're yeah. like,
1: Yeah, how? how are you doing this? Yeah, yeah that, <laughs> that's that's so that, I can't say that wasn't appealing. So, I got certified through a guy named Dan Miller who wrote a book called 48 Days to the Work You Love. He has a coaching program that I got certified in, and so uh, yeah, I mean, I it, it felt like the right thing, and I have no regrets. I, I learned a lot from yeah. it Unfortunately, it didn't work out as I anticipated. About a year into it, I decided that I needed to, I, I like to pay my bills. So uh, it just didn't work out. There's all kinds of could've, should've, would'ves. Is it hard to get clients? It is, and part of my, part of my uh, issue probably was that I went, I made a complete pivot, right? I mean, Dan, even Dan Miller and others had said, why didn't you get into like entertainment coaching or something that was at least somewhat remotely. Real. That's a thing there is yeah and but I didn't really want basically helping people direct their paths into the entertainment world and mm. navigating that but and they so yeah I think I made such a such a left turn that it was uh, and the, there are people that respect me love me and gave me a shot but it's from as far as building a large platform I didn't necessarily have the credibility I mean you know how it is uh, most of those guys there are exceptions and and women who build those kind of platforms so to speak there's a history. They started blogging ten years ago and or five years ago, and they built a the following over time. And then they finally released a book. And then they finally offered a coaching program. That you know. So I was kind of coming at it so cold, and so I I in some ways I jumped off the deep end, uh, thinking that I could make it work. And uh, you know, and there were some that are probably some that do, but I it just didn't for me. Yeah, I, yeah. Part of it too, I think, was I lacked a clear message if I would tell my younger self to not do that unless I have a clear message, me or clear, either a clear message or a clear audience that you want to serve, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. I, I just knew I wanted to help people and I didn't know I just knew I could. I've done pe I've helped people before. They've told me I made an impact on their life and so I thought I could just do that. But in hindsight, like I said, I, I, I think I, I'm still in some ways I feel like I'm still building my, my, my message and my yeah. platform of what I'm about, you know, and so I know that's coming down the road and I I still unofficially do that with people anyway. I'm naturally just wired that way, Mm you know, to help people and to give counsel or whatever. But uh, from a vocational standpoint, I don't know that that's my calling right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing is that, I mean, we confuse, like, capitalism with, like, we've got to be paid for everything that we do sort right. of thing. That's true. And it's like maybe, I mean, either for the season or maybe never, who knows, maybe you're not supposed to, maybe you're just supposed to be the guy that people come to. Right. You know what I mean?
1: Well, and that was that was weird too. I forgot to mention that, that it's, I, I started to get to a point where everybody I talked to felt like a potential client, <laughs> which, you know, I don't know. It just and, and some people can do that. Some people, you know, I, I like, I could never be into network marketing where everybody is a potential yeah, client. yeah, yeah. And I just, I I'm just, I bit. it does, yeah. it does. And you're like, are you talking to me because you really are interested in me or because you want my business? Yeah. yeah. And I, I get it. I am in business. So I understand the whole idea of, of, you know, courting people, courting mm-hmm. people or taking people out to dinner because you, you know, and the Bible even talks about gifts, gifts open up the door to Kings. So I understand that principle, but it got to a point where, because I, I, I was desperate for business. I needed business that every encounter was like okay this is a potential client yeah. I, how, do I con- how do I convince them to buy into my coaching program and so it just started to feel I, once again maybe it's I'm too genuine that way but I started to feel disingenuous yeah. and it's sort of the same thing of feeling like a hypocrite when I was at the uh, claiming to be a Seventh Day Adventist when I really wasn't acting that way and so I, that was I didn't like that at all. And so mm-hmm. now, if somebody needs something, or you know, somebody needs a word of advice or some time, I give it. And it doesn't matter. I mean, it's it's truly without any intentions. Yeah. You know, and villain later. Yeah, and I and I mean, about a month ago, I had somebody that did <laughs> want to just bill me, want to pay me for an hour of my time to do stuff. So mm-hmm. I did, but it wasn't. I'm not pursuing it or yeah, anything. Yeah, absolutely. And so. So, yeah, so I know that coaching, so to speak, is in my future, maybe just as a, on the side as a ministry or whatever, but not as a vocation yeah. full-time uh, anytime soon. And I, I do want to... I, I know I'm called to, to communicate, mm-hmm. and whether that's podcasting, speaking, teaching, all those things, writing more, um, don't know when that's going to happen exactly, but that is in my future for sure. Yeah.
0: So, obviously, finances get tight, and then it's like, well, I need to do something
1: else. Yeah, they do. I mean, that... People, I mean, you you may have a great product, but if nobody wants your product, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so either yeah. So I I had to move on and I had to go back to I was scrambling and trying to figure stuff out and God God landed me. A, I was able to land a job with a company called Faith Life. They're they're known for the Logos of Bible Software, mm-hmm. but they were building out their subscription subscription video on demand service, a la Netflix, and so I came to help them there. But then that ended. at, unexpectedly after three months and this these last four years have just been that kind of thing where contracts come and go things go here things go there character dangled they happen and they don't happen doors are closed I still have people that owe me from 2017 thousands of dollars um kind of uh yeah it's just been that that's been kind of my story for the last four years two business failures and lots of confusion vocationally multiple directions that I could have could go in and and things just not working out at all the way I intention I intended them to be but like I say it's been the worst of times but it's also been the best of times in that during those seasons as we talked about before we started recording here that's when you're forced to go to him right you're forced to 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 be stripped of your own self-sufficiency your own pride and your own you know, for me, it's like, well, you know, I, I can figure this out, or I can call somebody, or I can Google it. You know, we'll make this work. But that that's that self sufficiency has to go. You know, and God God wants us solely reliant on Him. And I laugh when people talk about a self made man. It's like there is no such thing as a self made man. We're all we all need Him and each other and all kinds of things to get to be self made. Mm-hmm. But so it's been a season of just growing in Him, having faith, uh, to just. For the next day to day being in the moment which is a big thing that i that i never used to do i used to always plan ahead look ahead but, but this last four years have taught me to be in the moment to enjoy mm-hmm. the moment to enjoy i have provision now right now i have food right now i have shelter right now i have an amazing family right now i have amazing friends i have amazing things that that god has put on my plate let me enjoy this right now and not think about oh shoot I need, I need a contract for tomorrow. Oh, shoot. I need this tomorrow. Yeah. How am I going to pay this next week? You no, know, be in the moment. Yeah. And so I'll probably write a book someday about my season or at least blog post or something about just all the lessons that God has taught me during the season, which is about to change, as you know. But, yeah. But What's
0: funny is like four years isn't that long a time, but when you're in the middle of it, it feels like, it feels like a long time. It's,
1: it's like a master's. I was thinking about this yesterday. It feels like I had a master's in... I don't even know, but uh, in uh, (laughs) vocational and financial (laughs) wilderness, you know, but, but it's been amazing. I mean, who gets in the situation, in the financial situation that I've been in, which you don't know the details, but it's not good. (laughs) But in this season, who gets to go on a missions trip for 20 days with their whole family? Mm. You know, twice, I've been twice to Belize. Who gets to have their kids in an amazing homeschool program and dancing with scholarships and Scholarships to the CrossFit, scholarships to this and uh, I've gotten a car, I've gotten vacations to Mexico, to uh, Cabo San Lucas. I mean I just I mean I have a whole spreadsheet of just crazy provision that God has just shown me. Look, mm. I don't need you I don't need a job to provide for you today. Yeah. I can provide to you in crazy ways. And of course me in my own pride, I, I wish I could provide it with my own work. <laughs> but especially when you know there's people out there that, that that is their story.
0: Yeah, right, that's right. what's frustrating. It's like again, the the messaging that we get on a day to day basis of like the successful man doing right. the thing that you want to do. Like it's frustrating because you know that that exists and that can be your story. Yeah. And it happens. God will. Yeah, and it's so it's just like yeah, and it, it screws with your mind.
1: And you know, it's there's nothing humbling more than seeing a colleague that stepped out and uh, to do their own business the same time you did or later and. You know, next thing you know, they're hiring 10 people and their business is booming. You're yeah. like, man, I can't even... I don't even know where my rent check's coming from next month. Yeah. You know, but that's the journey I've been in. That's all I can I, I can say. And just... And yeah, it's 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 been... There's so many lessons. Another important lesson for me, too, has been that God has shown me that He's not interested in just providing for my needs. I mean, because I really don't need anything than basic food and some shelter. right? right? But He's provided much more than I needed, but just things that we wanted, you know, all the the opportunities that my kids get to have, and where we live, and the people that we were with, I mean, it's just, God is a God of abundance, and that's all actually something that I, that I, I grew up with more of a poverty mentality, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, you know, there are people that are worse off, you know, well, be grateful, because, well, you know, at least you have this, at least, you know, so there's, and there's other, other ways that that was inculcated in my mind, but, but I know I came from a poverty mentality. I, uh... Or not enough mentality, and I should be grateful for this, and the starving kids in China, and that whole thing, and and I realized, you know what? God isn't a God of abundance, man. He's, and, and I'm not saying that God has called us to everyone to be rich. So it's not about that. I'm not saying that, but I, but God is a God of abundance, and and in fact, He may call some people to be rich, and maybe not everybody, but God is so, God often wants to bring us so much more than we even are willing to believe for it and dream for. It. I recently had—I forget what the context was—but I recently had somebody come to me and and I don't know, if, you know, you know that I believe in 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 the prophetic gifts and what people and pro- people do get prophetic words and God speaks to us in dreams and things like that. But one of the one of the words that came to me that really resonated is that I can't outdream God, you know. And so, and oh, I think the context was me going to Belize because and during this season it's ludicrous for me to think that I could go, to, my whole family could go to Belize for a month, and me for 20 days, when I should be Ubering, delivering pizza, working at Walmart, anything to make money, and there was nothing really tangible in the pipeline, but God provided all the funds to go, and he knew that we had this vision to go to Belize for a Month and work, co-labor with my father-in-law, and we wanted to do it as a family, and part of me is like, who are we? Like, what are we thinking? This is, I'm on crack. I don't have, we don't have the finances, and then when stuff started coming in, we're like, all right, all right, God, we're gonna do it, and so, so yeah, another lesson, you know, is that yeah, you cannot dream, God, and and as you know now, as soon as while I was in Belize, I was offered this opportunity for this new job that I start next week, and uh, and uh, yeah, and I was just 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 trusting Him, being obedient, hearing His voice even when it makes zero sense, and even makes zero sense to your family, not not my immediate family, but others in my family. Or it makes sense to other friends that are well-meaning. And, and I had a friend of mine who, well-meaning friend, you know, he, he's, he tiptoed around the conversation. But, you know, he asked me, well, do you think it would make sense for Tanya to not homeschool and to get a job? And I said, well, you know, I, I get why you're saying that. And it would make sense, I guess. But I don't feel like that's what we're called to do. I feel like she's called to homeschool. So I'm going to continue believing that she's going to stay at homeschooling and whatnot. And so... And then right before we went to Belize, a friend of mine got laid it on their heart to give $1,000 to her, to us. And so I, I felt like, okay, I'm going to invest this $1,000 in our homeschool and start to pay off, pay into the registration fees and some of those things. In faith, I still didn't even have the rest of it at the time. Yeah. And actually, I still don't, but it's coming, I believe. But anyway, so yeah, sometimes living 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 in communion with God, it's some, some things only make sense to the two of you. And... That's tough, but it, it's okay. You know, it doesn't have to make sense to everybody, yeah. and and I certainly don't believe in living in, in isolation from other people. We, I think <clears throat> we, we all need to have people in our lives that are that are that are praying for us, encouraging us, that can also give input. Mm-hmm. And we want that input, but sometimes the input they give us is still not the best input, and we yeah. just still have to stick with. It. And we have to be open to that. I believe in being open to it. But at the end of the day, nobody may understand what you and God know to be true. You mm-hmm. the path that it's you're still one dimensional. It is, and yeah. so hopefully your spouse is on board. And my wife has been amazing; uh, is amazing. Uh, she's always been on board. But not everybody is will understand your path and what it looks like, and that's okay. You know, it's just part of it, and we have to be all right with it. Yeah. What have been the hard
0: lessons that have like, have not been easy? I mean, like you've, you've touched on some lessons, but like, what are the ones that have really like just been painful to learn or do it?
1: You know, I, th- I mean, I think pride is always, is always, I mean, I never consider myself a proud person as far as, I don't think of myself as a cocky person. Mm-hmm. I've never, never felt better than other people or anything like that. As far as I know, right? But, but you're a very arrogant person. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I know. Well, yeah. you know, so I, but, I, but the truth is that there's pride in all of us, you know, yeah, there's all there's, and, 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 and the Lord's, his standards are very different yeah. than ours. You know, yeah. we tend to compare ourselves to other people. Well, I'm yeah. not talking like that guy, you know, look at him. He thinks he's all that. I don't. But the truth is that we do think we, we do have a lot more of that stuff in us than we think we do, you mm-hmm. know, and and I, and I find myself caring more than I want to care about certain things, you know, about like, I'll be candid and give an example right now. I mean, so I'm, I I just landed a job with, uh, as for a company that I'm excited about, but I I have three people that were working for me. And so one of the first things I'm considering is, okay, how do I, I I can't, I can't go to work with this old beat up van. Like this is that was given to me. It's like, you know, what are they going to think? And I'm going to take them to lunch, my employees to lunch and this beat up thing. It's, you know, and uh, it's it's funny and it, it, those are the things that still consume me and I hate that I even hate to admit it but it's it's like why am I so concerned yeah. you know so there's obviously still more work to be done you know? and, and it was almost it was almost funny uh, but so this van is was given to me so I'm not complaining it's been a blessing but the the ceiling is falling down yeah. off off of the uh, there's like a foam pad mm. in their ceiling so. I was trying to fix it last week because I didn't I didn't I had fixed it before but I was going to fix it before I start this new job in case one of my employees sees my car. <laughs> and I bring a staple gun to try to staple it and I accidentally hit my my front windshield with the staple gun and therefore crack <laughs> make a big crack in my windshield while I'm trying to make my car look oh, better, yeah. you know. And I just felt like it's one of those things. Okay, this is stupid like be, I'm so obsessed with with trying to make this something some, that's very cosmetic.
0: Yeah, and, and I made
1: it worse, mm-hmm. Beca- and so yeah. I just felt like it's a lesson. Like, just chill out, man. You know, so what? So what if you if you are perceived as this person with this quote unquote you know management job and your car doesn't meet the standard or doesn't mm-hmm. meet their standard? So what? You know what? That's my story. <laughs> you know, and, and it's not indicative of anything other than hey, I've had a rough four years, and you know what? And there's nothing to be ashamed about that. You know, I, I don't come from this, you know, I don't have this big mansion and this big fancy right. lifestyle. And so why am I trying, why am I so concerned with that image? You know, and so I, I'm still learning, but that's that's a big one, you know. And another big one is uh, is really just trusting God for your dreams. I mean, my dream was to be in my, be in business for myself, uh to grow something to where it's it's making money while I sleep, so to speak. And and it's not just because I want a yacht and then I want to smoke cigars uh, in a hot tub with a bunch of women like a like a P Diddy video, but it's like I I you know, I feel like man God, if I had if I had opportunities to accumulate wealth, you know, I could do a lot with my family, my with my kids, setting them up and my mom and my relatives in Chile and Belize and the ministry. I mean I, I overall I they seem altruistic pursuits, you know, right, right. but yet it didn't happen. And so I'm like, all right, God, what, what is it? You know, why not? And so just once again, laying down those things and realizing that just because you have a dream doesn't mean it's for now. And, yes. it doesn't, and, and that's a hard lesson because we want everything and we want it now. And I know that. And, and the other big lesson too is, you know, how, how, how did this go wrong? How, I mean, God, I trusted you. I prayed, I saved money. I I got certified, I did all the things that I thought I needed to do, yet my business failed, yet that failed, yet that failed, yet we didn't have money for this, y- you know? And so you you you're, you start to mess with your theology. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, but then of course you, you realize that that's not how God operates. Mm-hmm. God doesn't operate that way. And another, uh, you know, another way that God doesn't operate like us, a week before I was let go of one of my big jobs, my big contract jobs, God said that I'm about I had received another prophetic word about being promoted, so I was so excited. I was saying, "Okay, they're gonna they're gonna finally open up their national office and make me their CEO," which was what they had talked about. Within a week, I was let like, go, oh. and I was like, "But I'm pretty sure that was true." Yeah. And so, of course, you know, a few years later, now I'm realizing that the promotion is really in the super, in the in the in the spiritual. You know, mm-hmm. God has been has been promoting us. It doesn't feel like a promotion. It felt horrible, but but what I've gained you know, in my relationship with him and my understanding of him and my love for him and in my understanding of his love for me and my ability to hear from him and my ability to be used by him, I have been promoted, yeah. you know, and, and one of the best things I've heard through this journey is my wife who came, she's a preacher's kid, you know, she she told me the other day or recently that one of the, that she is, she um, is finally at a place where she is completely confident in, in, in following me. And not that she wasn't before, but because of her background and, and, and her pedigree, you know, I, in some ways I hadn't caught up to her in some way spiritually and in the way that she grew up. And so, but she, but the fact that, you know, she, she f- implicitly trusts my walk with the Lord, mm-hmm. implicitly trusts that I'm hearing his voice, even when it's uncomfortable for her, which it has been, even when it doesn't make sense to her, you know, to hear that, I'm like, that's gold, you know? And, and to hear my daughter, when we just got back from my Belize trip to say, you know, but that one of her biggest takeaways from Belize is, is realizing that the things that she shares in a small group or in the way, the things that she says to people to minute and when she's ministering or just being herself, many of those things she realizes that she just gets, regurgitates what I say to her, wow. you know? And so I know that God has promoted me in that way and yeah. promoted me and that, but I was thinking... Money. Okay, great. I'm going to get a fancier title, more money. But so those are all, those are all dichotomies that it's just... That, that, I've, that I'm learning you know another thing that I've learned is is interestingly enough is I've learned how to receive it's very humbling uh, when yeah. people come to you yeah. people that you know very well have c- come to you and give you money give you and then you have to face something yeah and then and, and feeling like okay how do I return this and, but but God teaching me no you know I you it's a mm-hmm. gift let it, you you know, you're not, you're you're not, you're not, you don't have to, you're not obligated to return this. And really, the Lord spoke to me about learning to receive and being okay with it and not feeling like a loser or not feeling like a charity case, because at some point, I'll be at a place where I'll be able to give again. And I don't want that person to feel that way. I don't want them to feel like they owe me anything or that, that it's, you know, whatever. And another thing that I learned about giving is that often we give, at least I can say for myself, there have been times when I've given more out of because it makes me feel good mm. not because I really care about that person and what I care about is is them knowing that hey I've got lunch don't worry about it you know I'll cover this I'm buying this you know and, and, and there's something about that that is not pure and motive mm. and I don't want to be that kind of giver I don't want to I don't want to buy you lunch because it makes me feel good or yeah. makes me feel in control or powerful you know so that's another big lesson too is being able to learn to receive and and not in the right spirit um, And of course, I mean, all of this, all these journeys mess with your identity. You know, if you look at Joseph, uh, you know, he had this big dream and the next, you know, he's in jail. (laughs) So he thought he was some big shot in the dream probably, but he's in jail, you know? And so, and so it it forces you to go, okay, you know what? I'm the same Gabriel, the same, the same son of God, the same guy that he loves so deeply, the same guy that he formed in my mother's wound. I'm the same, the same Gabriel, whether I'm, you know, CEO of a big company or whether I'm Serving the homeless or whatever. whatever I'm working at Walmart. Whatever it may be, right? I'm the same Gabriel. And that should not change who I think I am. Uh, it may change who other people think I am. Right. But I, I don't need to care about that. It doesn't change who I am. And, and I, I I can't shrink back from who I am just because my position may be lower than yours, according to the world standards. I'm still valuable in him. And I still have something to give you. And I still have can offer you something. I can still... I can... I, I'm still somebody in Him and I can still walk in that authority and that power uh, even if you don't think highly of me by mm-hmm. whatever your standards are. So those are all... I don't know if they're hard lessons but they're they're hard in that sometimes you only you can only learn them by just walking through stuff yeah. which I know you've done. So...
0: Have you... Has it caused you... Because like one of the things I've struggled with is the scripture uh, you know, the asking will be given seeking you will find mm-hmm. or I, even I read this morning... Um, that the, the Jesus couldn't do something in their midst because of unbelief, right, right, right. and I sit there and go, like, am I not believing? Like, mm-hmm. like I mean, like I feel like I am, or I'm at least struggling to. Like, I mean, has that has that crossed your mind at all? Like, that, dealing with that at all?
1: I mean, yeah, I think I think we all deal with okay. Is is it something I'm not doing? Mm-hmm. Right. It, it that's just the way that we're wired as people, and and even as I talked about earlier, that's our culture, right? It's the hustle. It's like okay in order to get what you want, you have to work for it. Mm. And you have to you have to do X, Y, Z. And if you're not hustling, if you're not doing this, then the other, you're not going to get what you want. And so that's just built into us. And and it's built into... As we grew up, growing up in school, everything about us is performance-based. Mm. And so it's so hard not to be that. And Jesus says, come all you here are weary and, and I will give you rest, right? His burden is easy. And, and so... Yeah, it's, it, it is a whole dichotomy, and part of that's been a lesson for me, too, because during these last four years, my natural mode of operation is to, you know, I've been taught and trained that if you're not working, your work is to get work, right? Mm-hmm. So my MO, my natural tendency is to, you know, go, to, go sit in my office for at least eight hours and be looking for work, looking for clients, looking for business. And there have been multiple times where God has spoken to me very clearly to not do that, and it doesn't make sense, you know. Like for example, I was Ubering for a while, and because while well, I felt like I need, to, it was I needed to do something. God clearly showed me, told me not to Uber, and it didn't make sense to me. I'm like God, I'm trying to provide. Why would I, you know? And 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 part of me is like, well, what What are people going to think? You know, here I am needing like in your spirit,
0: like you're no. Like I actually saw a vision spirit? of
1: Jesus pointing to my heart about Uber. Really? Like I literally saw him and I knew what he meant and it's because it was my way of controlling things because I would sit in my office I would do what I could do and then I'm like alright I want to go Uber because that was a way for me to control at least something you know and, and, and there's nothing wrong with Ubering but for us it was it caused all kinds of other side effects like I would, if I was out till 2 or 3 my wife couldn't sleep and I didn't see my kids and all yeah. this kind of stuff and so in the natural it didn't make sense God I'm just trying to provide what is the deal but he spoke to me about not doing that and he spoke to me about Resting, literally, like and, and I heard it from multiple people. Rest, and I'm like, how can I rest? Like I might have you seen my bank account? Yeah. I don't need to be resting, but a lot of my journey has been to not rely, not be self reliant, and to rest and to be, which I'm not a beer I'm a doer by nature, but it's to be with my family, it's to be and uh, the, be there for my wife and be around my kids more and to and be at the mission trip, uh, be at this you know, and so. That's been that's been a challenge too. It's just to rest in him. And and it's not about working out more faith or working out more this. So it's like, all right, God, you know what? You are my provider. I am not my provider. And if you're telling me to rest, now he may not I'm not saying that everybody in my situation should rest. I'm just telling you what he told me. Mm-hmm. And for a doer and for somebody who is if you've taken the strength finders, my number one, number one strength finder is responsibility. Mm-hmm. So for a responsible person. Who is who knows? He's responsible for his wife and kids' well being, and for a doer, resting is the you, that's killing me. Like yeah, yeah, I, I, can't rest. Yeah. But that's <clears throat> what he's told me: just to rest and be, and and of course, you know, he's provided this. He's provided not necessarily yeah. always what I wanted and when I wanted, but he's provided. We haven't missed a meal. We haven't lost our home or anything. And now he's provided a another opportunity. a a career changed into a full-time job and so that's been that's been hard it's just resting and so we don't we don't know how to rest in him yeah and that's but that's what i've been having to learn is knowing knowing when to when when to take action knowing when to rest knowing when to quote unquote exercise your faith and when to just exercise it by not doing anything you know you know and so uh, and once again, it goes back to how we're how we're trained in this world, and you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and all these the, great the things culture. that sound great. And like I said, that that is, there is a time and season for that. So I'm not saying that that, but there are times when He calls us to rest, and we just need to be trust Him in that. That our faith in that in that case is in trusting Him by not trying to do something of our own, mm-hmm. or in some ways, creating our own Ishmael.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's good. So now you have a job. Yes, I you,
1: do. You start on Tuesday. I start on Tuesday, yes. I'm very grateful for and that. And the feelings are, it's still confusion. No, I mean, it's it's great. I'm excited about it. The market into it, it, it wasn't a direction that I anticipated. Yeah. And I think we had this discussion before we recorded. but uh, And I wasn't even, I still wasn't clear that I needed to find a job because I, I was still hoping for some things to take off in my business. But I knew coming back from the mission trip, in July, that something that God would make it very clear which direction to go, and so, do I pursue more business on my own, or do I look for jobs? And this came up while I was in Belize. I had both interviews. I've I've never been in a situation where I've accepted a job without even meeting my boss, but that's what happened. I have yet to meet my boss, and so uh, and it wasn't the direction that I anticipated. But I once again I have to go back and and deprogram myself yeah. from what what you hear, and what you hear is you know. Seek your dreams. It's all about your dreams and whatever your dream job is. Where, you know, Follow your dreams. That's, that's the story, right? Everybody should follow their dreams. And this wasn't my dream, but a, a good friend of mine, a wise counselor of mine, told me, you know what? You have to look at this as an assignment. This is where God has you. And that's really what it's about, right? Mm-hmm. If, we're, if we're crucified in Christ, I don't really have any dreams unless they're his dreams yeah. for me right? I don't have ambitions on my own. I don't have, as weird as it sounds, I don't have my own personal goals. They're his goals for me. And so so now with that mindset, okay, God, I'm on assignment here. This is this is my new mission trip, so to speak. I'm, I'm here at this company. Who do you want me to impact? How can I be of service to you? And how can I grow this business? How can I serve faithfully? And And obviously, God knows my desires. And so if this job on the surface doesn't meet my expectations that I thought I had in my head well God hasn't forgotten those things and so I have to also trust him that you know what this is going to somehow lead to those things if they're truly those his desires which I hope that my heart has his desires if they're truly his desires either that those desires will be fulfilled somehow through this job or if it's not this job I'm learning more more things or making connections or learning things that will then lead to something else down the road that will be what he's called me to be. So it's either way I, I'm embracing it. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the possibilities and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be, I am going to honor him by being my best and being present and doing <laughs> the best job I possibly can Yeah. and embracing it. You know, and I, I, I did a, I did a talk recently about, um, turning trials into gold and one of the big things was uh, embracing you know we we embrace trials and things that don't go our way and it's not a blind embrace because we're just stupid and we hate bad things but we embrace them because we know it produces character Mm -hmm. it produces it produces gold our faith that that is more precious than gold so there's a reason why we embrace things why we count it all joy you know because we know in the end it's a good thing, yeah. for us, and so.
0: And if we're honest, like, none of us really love the um, none, none of us really get into the stories where everything goes right, anyway. You know what <laughs> that's I mean? like, true, that's true. What a boring movie that would be! <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, The Fallen Heroes. <laughs> I mean, we, I mean, we, we don't like to admit it, but we, I mean, like, looking back, we actually like when we tell stories, like, we don't, we make share our successes but we talk about what it took to get there you know, and, yeah. you know the process and the lessons learned so I mean
1: this is not this has not been like time wasted in any way no, shape sort or of form not know? at all not at all yeah and I know I, I've seen fruit in my kids and my wife and myself and then I know that the fruit will last I mean it'll bear much fruit going forward yeah. So yeah. and muscles that
0: you muscles you didn't know you needed to, to tweak or want stretch <laughs> yeah right or didn't even know they were there like I've probably been, you know, yeah. you probably don't even know what they are yet, you know, yeah. but you may find in the coming days, you know. Yeah. So.
1: And you know, I'm. I'm also the whole going back to the whole thing about you can't outdream God, you know. The, the biblical example of that That's so is, good. the biblical example of that is David, you know, David. He could yeah. only slay Goliath because he had sl- he had killed a lion and a bear, so. Mm-hmm. So the the exciting part and somewhat scary part of this is okay. I I've, I've killed. Let's say this is a lion for me. This these four years were a lion. Okay, so. So unfortunately, I'm not going to be resting like this. Is, <laughs> I haven't arrived, right? It's, it's now it's okay, God, what's, what's, what's my Goliath or what's my next yeah. bear? Or what's my next line? You know, and, and it's, we're, we're constantly in that mode of either about to go into something and something or coming out of something, you know, and, but it's all, once again, for we count it all joy because we know that we're becoming more like him and, we're, we're becoming complete in, in our character and maturity we're maturing in him so yeah
0: and it may not even be about your Goliath it may be about I mean the story of David and Goliath has impacted generations of people yeah absolutely you know and so like it may just be about your story and how you're able to communicate and de- talk to people to help them you know right, their, conquer their demons yeah know? yeah yeah which is huge yeah and then you and then all of a sudden you end up being the the pastor you <laughs> yeah. We're back to that. <laughs> There's no prophetic word there. I just um but yeah, I mean, um yeah, you just you just never know, you know? I, I mean you never I've know. Never um so like what are some of the tools or resources that like what are what's advice or things you've read or you know, that's been really impactful. You've talked about lessons, but what have been, you know, the outside sort of Messages that you've gotten from people, from books, from whatever that have kind of impacted you throughout the course of all? Because I know you're a reader and mm-hmm. you're learning.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I do... Besides I, the Bible, that's a given. Read the Bible, yeah. Uh, I end up reading a lot of business books. Um, and I, actually, I'll, I'll go... Uh, this, there's a couple, an author named Chip and Dan... Two authors, Chip and Dan Heath. They write some amazing books, business books, but... One of them talk. One of them is called the Power of Moments. It's an, it's a business book, but it's amazing. and It's applicable to all yeah. kinds of all kinds of things. But um, the Power of Moments. One of the things that, that they talk about is how important it is to create moments. Uh, to create moments, and and I, I can't summarize the book right now, but but basically, uh, my, one of my takeaways from that book, The Power of Moments, is to really celebrate moments you know we we are we and this is it's a very biblical concept too because uh we we often don't sit take the time to go back and reflect and go okay wow that was that is something to be marked that is moment to be marked yeah that is something to be to be remembered and so some of the ways that, that i've learned to do that much more during the season is is by journaling and I try to do it most days. Some days I miss it. But I'm starting with gratitude, okay? Let me mark the moments. Okay, God, thank you for this. You know, thanks for my... T- so tomorrow will be thanks for my, my great chat with Chris Lockwood. You know, and, 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 and just marking those... Taking the time to mark the moments and to remember the moments. And to, and because we forget. We, we're so forgetful. Especially in, in seasons of, of, of uh, valleys and seasons of desert. I mean, the children of Israel are a perfect example uh, in the desert, as well as through the season period of the judges, it's like, we forget God did this yesterday, but and then the next day we're already freaking out yeah. because, you know, well, yeah, but, and then we totally forget that he just brought us to the Red Sea yesterday. Mm. And so I think the the whole moments is taking the time to remember the moments, remember those things, remember what God did today, remember what God just did, and and make sure and mark those moments because you'll 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 want to come back to those. You'll want to say, okay, you know what? He did part the Red Sea, and yes, he brought water from the rock there, and he did that here. So you know what? Okay. I, I, he's going to deliver me from here too. So so anyway, that's the power of the moments and being in the moment and remembering moments is, is big.
0: Hey, you know what? I'm going to stop you. The, the water from the rock thing, I just read that uh, a few weeks ago. Um, so if you don't know the story... Uh, Moses crossed the Red Sea the day before or week or whatever week days mm-hmm. before, and then the people are are angry because they're thirsty, and so, my picture in my head my entire life is when he's he strikes the rock right Is that what it is, mm-hmm. and I picture like a water fountain worth of water, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like like when I read it again like for the I mean it's the first time it like it was like like I kind of was like like the Lord going you know there were like a million people. It wasn't like a waterfall. <laughs> like it was like a legit like stream you know ba- minor river if you will like yeah. so that a million people could get water. And it just never dawned on me like like the supply that was there. Like right. I just always thought it was like they got a little water and then they were happy and they were and there, and there was like, <laughs> t- like there were 10 people there. And I right. there was like millions of people. Yeah. I guess, You know and it just like how amazing that, that idea is of just like the supply and the abundance that was in that, yeah. that moment. I just, I, it finally, like, it's crazy that I've read that and heard that story my whole life and thought like just a little, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then you walk off, everybody gets online. And I was like, you're such an innocent kid, okay? you know? Anyway, it goes to show how like little, like confidence I have in what God really
1: wants to supply. <laughs> of, you know? It's the God of abundance. Um, the other other couple of teachers that I listen to a lot of their podcasts is um, I listen to Joyce Meyer a lot. She there, she has a very brief podcast and I'm probably one of the few males that listen to her, but you know some <laughs> of the stuff to, doesn't apply. Girl, uh... But she's 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 real, you know, and she's gone through stuff and she's, uh, I, I, yeah, she always has something that's very practical. And then I listen to a guy named Andrew Womack a lot too, and he's I love. Uh, He's out of Colorado. He has kind of a Texas accent, kind of a country cowboy. His podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah, Andrew Womack. But he's a he's a great teacher, and he's really through his teachings and his books that I've read. You, have, I've really uh, underst- better understood the fact that it's at the cross. It's done. Mm. You know. You know we we and it's affected the way that I pray, the way that I speak to people. You know, sometimes we'll say, "Hey, can you?" Can you pray for me that I had that I have wisdom? Well, the Bible says we have all things through Him. Everything we need for life and godliness, we have supernatural wisdom at our access. You know, somebody may say, "Pray for healing." Well, I can, but we already have that. You know, it's it's already been done on the cross. You know, and so a lot of what we ask for, what we hope to get, is already there. Is already there. It's it's like it's like a gift that we just haven't unwrapped. Yeah. You know, so my prayers even have changed. Like the other day, somebody on Facebook said, "Pray for me for this," and my prayer was, you know. God, thank you that you've already provided him everything he needs for life okay. and godliness. Thank you that you have provided for his healing. Thank you that you have given, that he has access to the Holy Spirit who knows everything, who has all supernatural understanding and wisdom. Thank you that he has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So so it, it kind of postures you very differently yeah. because we're not asking God to do these things. He's given mm-hmm. us. It's really us that we're, our hearing is obtuse. Our eyes are, are clouded. We don't we don't understand that that gift is right there in front of us. Oh. So it's more about, okay, God, remove the blinders. What is blocking you from seeing that that's there? Mm-hmm. You know, from unwrapping that gift.
0: I got challenged on that yesterday. Um, uh, just, I had a tough weekend leading worship because, like, we did a song, Good, Good Father. And I just, like, I struggled not to cry the whole time. Every time we did that. You know, we do four services and every service. It was like, I had to, I had to step away from the mic. Luckily, there's a praise team. Like, it just was like, and, um, and so I just, I was pretty vulnerable from stage, but, uh, but I got challenged on, it opened up a whole conversation we had yesterday. And he said, and, um, the guy I was talking to said, I noticed in your prayers, sometimes you say, um, God somehow uses. (laughs) And, and, um, he said, it's not really, you know, you're, he was like, you're a leader, and it's like, it's kind of this attitude of like, I don't know, God maybe uses, mm-hmm. you know, when like he he's called us and he wants to use us, you know. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I haven't seen it from that standpoint. I've just thought like, we are human. I don't know how you work, God, but somehow use us. That's kind of, but I think buried into that, baked into mm-hmm. that is sort of that mentality of like, I don't know, maybe you can, maybe you can't. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll see. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. That But that, I mean, yeah. it's, it's. It's that whole, and I think probably a lot of that is I grew up Baptist. And so, you know, very conservative, which I'm not a conservative person whatsoever. And, but like, you know, in all of the, dom, dom, every denomination has like their, um, their punchlines on all the jokes that they have for all the other denominations that's not them. And so it's, it's borderline that name it and claim it sort of right. thing. But when you read the Bible and you read about what Jesus was, you know, what he's preaching and stuff, he's very much that, you know, like, like, just like everything you just said, yeah. you have it, it's yours, Right. but we just don't make you of it, we yeah. just leave it under the Christmas tree, and stare at it, and absolutely. go, well that was a nice gift, mm-hmm. I'll never use that, I wish I had that. <laughs> and all you have to do is walk over and open it, yeah. and put it to use, you know, absolutely, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's tough, it's the difference between knowing and doing, and mm-hmm. stepping into it, the whole faith without action is dead, you know, yeah, um, that's good, um, What
1: was the book, the girl, um, you mentioned a while ago, girl or... Rachel Hollis. Rachel Hollis. Yeah, we got to talk about that too. (laughs) In all all honesty, I'm reading that book because it relates to my new job.
0: Sure. It's
1: called Girl, Stop Apologizing. Girl,
0: Stop Apologizing.
1: (laughs) And it's a follow-up to Girl, Wash Your Face. You read that one too. i haven't yet i okay. just started with this one because i just what is she known the for I mean, besides the she is, like, is uh is she? she is a uh, kind of a motivational blogger speaker uh entrepreneur and she, yeah she she focuses on women obviously yeah <laughs> plus me and, uh, <laughs> and Gabriel. and uh she's become a best-selling author i mean she's uh, I she's one of harper collins biggest uh Authors yeah. and she's, I mean, her books are a target everywhere, but she's very much about, you know, don't believe the lies that you grew up with and you can, you know, you can do whatever. We need. Yeah, it's just a lot, of just encouraging people to stop apologizing for who God has called them to be and and be, yeah, and don't worry about what this person says and what that person says. Everybody has their own journey, that kind mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. So now, like,
0: what's the what's the concern now do you feel like you like there's anything to be afraid of i mean obviously from a spiritual standpoint no we're all good right, right, right. but like what's the concern now you 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 you're 4 days no
1: you're weak. a week a week yeah now. honestly i don't i don't have any concerns and not to sound super spiritual but i i i'm not really concerned about anything I was, just, well I, I will say what, I, what any any concern might be that i I hope that I were able to still continue the family dynamic mm-hmm. that we had before of me being so present at home, working from home, being at home, being doing breakfast with the kids, doing Bible time with them, and at lunchtime, you know, being at home to be able to alleviate some of the housework for my wife. I could empty the dishwasher while I'm um, at lunch break and that kind of stuff. We're you get spoiled. Be at home and while she takes one of the kids here, be, be able to be home with the other one. So that kind of stuff. But really, just it's more about... Yeah, more about, camp. Okay, am I going to miss... Because I see the fruit of me being very present in their life, very present in their life, uh, very present in their Bible teaching, and there are guide times together and all that. And so I don't want to lose that because I'm going to have to leave earlier and come back later and all that. And so it's kind of... But I'm also I'm also looking at it from uh, another book that I read, Michael Hyatt. Uh, I forget which one is it, The Best Year Ever, maybe. But he's got several books that I've read. But one of... I think free to focus maybe anyway but he, t- he has this concept of what whenever something different comes along your way or hard ask yourself what does this allow mm-hmm. and so and, and actually I, I saw this come into play yesterday because now that I'm no longer doing Baba with my kids part of me agrees but then my wife God gave her a download about what she's going to start doing with them and I heard it and I was like awesome you know and it was it was almost a felt val- a validation from God going okay see I've got your back you know what what she's doing for them, I was like, that's amazing. I'm so glad you're doing that with them. Yeah. That's a perfect idea for them for the season, and so God is saying, you know, don't worry about it, man. <laughs> I've got this. Uh, your kids will be covered. They're gonna get what they need, and and this me freeing up that time to do other things is allowing my wife to step into some new things with them, which is great for her and them. And so yeah, so I so maybe I'm even not as afraid of that anymore either. Yeah. And, and probably um, nice
0: to be just be able to breathe. Knowing that you're okay, yeah, you know, to yeah take that pressure off your shoulders, yeah. yeah, and not
1: that I was worried, but you know you just you, um i I've, i like i said i i i I know that it's been it's been a huge blessing for me to be home, and you know what that's like, that's and so it. um, but God knows the season, God knows what my kids need, and so I just have to trust that whatever they need, if it doesn't come directly through me, it'll come through my wife or through other ways, and I just have to be able to release that, you know and so. Yeah. So, I'm not really afraid it's just it'll just be an adjustment, like anything else new okay, so
0: let's say someone is in a very similar position you are mm-hmm. as in wrapping up. you've said a lot already and so for uh, for the sake of you know you can repeat yourself or whatever but like what are like like two or three takeaways you got that you would share with somebody
1: i mean i i think I think the the word of encouragement is that God sees you. God knows you, God God is there, you know, when God God doesn't... Just because you don't feel spiritual, or you don't feel God, or you don't sense Him, it doesn't mean He's not there. Mm -hmm. He is always there. And often it's, we are the ones that don't take the time, don't quiet ourselves, don't take away other distractions to hear Him, and to feel His presence, and to communicate with Him, but He is always there. He is always there through your darkest hour, your darkest time. He is there. He says, his word says, he will never leave you nor forsake you. And so, so yeah, I think that's, that's my one encouragement that he he sees your stuff and he made you. So he formed you in your mother's womb. So he knows all your junk and all, all the good, the bad and the ugly. And so, and he's still there and he still wants to be with you. The other thing too is that you know, he, he's not only with you, but he actually wants to be in relationship with you. He is not some distant God that just made you and took off, said peace out. He's, he, actually, he actually yearns, longs to be with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to be in your business, not because he's nosy, but he wants to be part of everything you do. And he doesn't want just to be part of your, of your spiritual life when you go to church on Sunday or when you're you know, singing a Chris Tomlin song. He wants to be part of you when you're eating, when you're driving, when you're playing golf or whatever you do. He is he is there and he wants to commune with you. So, I would challenge you to look for him in the unexpected places. You know, look for him in those moments when you feel not very super spiritual. And that, uh, but but look for him. Talk to him. Ask him. What do you think? You know, what should I do here? Or God, what do you think about that? Or God, thank him. Thank you for that amazing tree, that amazing leaf. But just. Be aware that he's always with you and, and enjoy that fellowship. I mean, we, we have the example of Adam and Eve. I mean, they walked with God uh, and they were, they were able to communicate with him all day long. And that's, that's how he made us. He made us to be in relationship with him. And so exploit that, explore that. You know, what does that look like? And it's going to look different than it, for me than it is for you. But he wants to be in relationship with you all through, through the mundane, through, all, through your whole day
0: awesome dude. Enjoyed it, thank you. I love it. Thank you for coming to do this. Gabriel Aviles, what did I tell you? Just a sweet, godly, genuine guy. I had such a great time with him, and um, I don't know, just has such a sweet demeanor. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it blessed you. If it did, by all means, please reach out to me at I am Chris Lockwood everywhere, except for Twitter, Uh, I am Clockwood, I-A-M-C-L-O-C-K-W-O-O-D, if anybody still uses Twitter. You can also email me at chris at IamchrisLockwood.com. If you want to share something with me, something in your heart, uh, maybe something you've learned through the podcast, if you want to relay a message through me to Gabriel, um, that's fair too. I would love to do that. I know he would love to hear from you. Um, Yeah, and you know what? Share the podcast. Get the word out. Like it on iTunes and Apple Music and Spotify so that... gets rated higher so that people find it Uh, because, you know, look, there are people that are reluctant to come to church, and I get it, and that's fine. So we'll just have church in the shower, uh, on the treadmill, or in the car, wherever you listen to podcasts because church is this, two guys sitting, drinking coffee, having smoothies in my not mansion, talking about life and how difficult it is and how trying it is and how exhausted we are, but also how good God is and the lessons we're learning along the way. That's church, my friends. Have a blessed week. I'll see you next month.